All right. Uh, hey, open your Bibles to John chapter 14. And um, let me just say this. Uh, and Andrew did a great job of kind of talking about everything that's going on here. And I look out in the room and I'm like, man, there's a lot of people in this room. And I'm very grateful for that. I also want to let you all know, since you all can't see the other two services, if you like a little more space, it is available to you. Um, if this works best for you, we understand that for sure. But the other services have some more room. They're, they're, they're doing great as well. But it's a little more elbow room if you'd like for that. Uh, let, let me introduce myself formally, Rob Sweet. And I'm one of two teaching pastors here, along with Lloyd Shadrach. If you're new to fellowship... We have a bit of an interesting model because we have two campuses here in Franklin and we do live teaching in both. So while I'm here, Lloyd is teaching there and vice versa. We do have others who teach from time to time. Last week, Monty did a really wonderful job. He's our, um, yeah, you can clap. Uh, okay, two people, three, five, everybody claps for Monty. Did a really great job. And we're gonna pick up this morning where Monty left off in John's gospel. We're gonna be in, in John chapter 14. Uh, last Sunday, or actually it was Saturday, a week ago Saturday, my wife and I dro dropped off our oldest daughter at college. And it was a wonderful and terrible experience. <laughs> I can't say I recommend it. But as we were walking through that whole process and feeling all the feels, um, one of the things I was very aware of is there was an instinct in me to, to sort of be like, did, did we teach her enough? You know? Did we prepare her for, for this launching out into the world? And is she ready? And are we ready for this? And of course, the, the answer to all those questions is, well, yes and no. Yes and no. You can't prepare them completely. You, Jody and I are not prepared completely for what this means for us and, and kind of the, the new family that we have in our home. And the reality is any of the biggest changes of life you're never completely prepared for. We're in a portion of John's gospel where Jesus is, is doing something really interesting with his disciples. He's, he's giving them these last words. He's looking them in the eye and saying, there are a few more things I want to say to you before you're launched into the world as my disciples. And we have in chapters 13 through 17 of the gospel of John, the longest continual section of Jesus's teaching, of Jesus's speaking anywhere in the gospels. And we get to listen in on this intimate conversation that Jesus has on the night that he's going to be arrested and then he'll be crucified the very next day. In God's sovereign plan, the intimate conversation that he had with his disciples on this last night was recorded and has been preserved for 2,000 years. And so we get to hear it. We get to listen in on it. And I remind us of that because sometimes we can take it for granted, you know, and we read these scripture passages, maybe we've heard them before. This was a conversation that happened between Jesus and these men on a particular night in a particular place. And why would God in his sovereignty preserve, record, preserve this conversation for us? I think in part, it's because Jesus' words are not just for them, they're for us as well. And so these are words that we need this morning. The context of the, the passage we're going to study really matters. And so I want to spend just a minute on this. Jesus has just told the disciples two things that would have been like a bomb dropped in their laps, so to speak. The first thing, and this is last week's text that Monty covered. The first is that someone's going to betray him. And they're all looking around thinking, are you kidding me? You know, we're, we're solid. 
Jesus says, no, one of you is gonna betray me. And then the second thing he says, right at the end of the passage is he says, you know, and Peter, who was the leader, by the way, Peter, you're gonna deny that you even know me. And, and not just someday down the road, tonight. Like before dawn comes, Peter, three times, you're gonna deny me. And here's something else Jesus knows. Jesus knows that he's gonna be leaving. And after he leaves, the, the lives of the disciples are gonna get really, really hard. They're going to be in hiding. They're, they're going to be afraid for their lives. You know, then, you know, Jesus will rise from the dead and they'll get to spend a little time with them, which will be amazing and wonderful. But then he's going to ascend to heaven to leave them again. And then they're eventually they're going to be persecuted. They're going to be tortured. Every one of them is going to die a, a terrible death. They're going to be sawed in half or thrown to the animals. Peter's going to be crucified upside down, et cetera. What is the message Jesus wants to say to them in the moment right before their world turns upside down? That's the context of our text, particular John 14. He's just dropped these bombs on them and then the next words out of his mouth, look at verse one of our text, John 14, verse one. Let not your hearts be troubled. And before we finish the verse, let me just say this, like, how is that possible that their hearts are not going to be troubled? He's just said, you're going to have, you know, someone's going to betray me. Peter's going to deny me. And he knows all these things that's coming for them. And he's saying, let not your hearts be troubled. Well, the, the antidote to fear is always faith. So where does he go next? Believe in God, but believe also in me. He's saying, you already have faith in God. I want you to also have faith in me. He's calling them to trust is what he's essentially doing. Trust is always the antidote to fear. This reminds me, you know, when your kids are little, at least this was true for us, it comes a time when you're teaching them to swim and, and at some point in time, they're gonna be sitting on the edge of the pool or standing on the edge of the pool and you're gonna be down in the water looking up and you're gonna have your arms outstretched and you're gonna say, just jump, I'll catch you. And, and then I remember with our girls, they were hesitant. So then the next words that I would always say is, you can trust me. This is kind of that moment with the disciples. Jesus is saying, I know this is scary. You can trust me. Believe in God. Believe also in me. And so that's how the chapter starts. It's a little bit of a thesis statement for the whole chapter. He's like, trust God, trust me. You're gonna be okay, no matter what comes. But what Jesus is gonna do throughout the rest of chapter 14 is he's gonna give them three things. He's gonna promise them three things that he knows they must have in order to survive, in order to live, in order to jump in the water and swim, particularly when he's gone. And here are the three things. This will be an outline for our text, for our message this morning. He's gonna promise them a place, he's gonna promise them provision, and he's gonna promise them his presence. The promise of a place, provision for the journey, the presence of God himself. And of course, these are the same three things that we need for our journey. Because the reality is, I doubt any of us are going to be sawed in half, but we're going to face trials of our own. And, and could be persecutions, but, but I don't even, it doesn't even have to just be that. I mean, the, the normal trials and struggles of following Jesus in a world like ours. Let's back up even higher level and just say the, the normal pain of living life on this planet, no one gets to escape unscathed. And so Jesus, a couple chapters from now, he'll tell his disciples, in this world, you will have trouble. That's just as true for us as for them. In this world, you will have trouble. So what do we need in order to live in a troubled place without troubled hearts? 
We need place, we need a provision, and we need presence. Let's break those down. We'll start with place. Look at verse two, two to four. In my father's house are many rooms. If it were not so, would I have told you that I go to prepare a place for you? And if I go to prepare a place for you, I will come again and I will take you to myself. That where I am, you may be also. And you know the way to where I am going. Jesus is actually promising something amazing. If you really think about it, it's, it's breathtaking. He's promising not just a place, but the place. In my father's house. Who's he talking about? Creator God. I'm going to prepare a place for you in the home of God himself. Oh my goodness. He, he's, he's saying that there's, there's a place that is beyond anything you can imagine, beyond your wildest dreams. He, here's, here's where I want to get to the heart of this. He's promising them not just a place. He's promising them home. He's promising them the place where they belong, the place they were made for, their true home. He says, in my father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place there for you. Now, the idea of home is one of the most powerful concepts in, in human imagination. There's something deep in each of us, right? And this is just part of being a human being. You long for a place to belong. I long for a place to belong. We long for home. It's deep in us. We ache for it. We think back on our homes maybe growing up. Maybe you have good memories. Maybe you have not so good memories. The reality is for all of us, it's a mix of both. But it wasn't whole. No one gets to be raised in a home that's perfect and whole and right. And so you spend the rest of your life trying to find that place, trying to build that place, trying to do the things you can for your family of your own. Maybe you're taking vacations together, trying to find the perfect vacation spot. Maybe you're renovating your home and you're expanding your house. You know, you're, you're, you're building the lake house if you've got the money to do that or the mountain house or the beach house. What are you really doing deep inside? Nothing necessarily wrong with any of that necessarily, but you're, you're chasing this idea of there's a place to be that's whole and right where I fit and we fit and things are right. That's, if you think about it, that's what home is really. It's more than a house. It's the place where you belong. It's the place where you're most yourself, where you can fully relax. It's a safe harbor. It's a place where you're fully known and fully loved. It's a place where you don't have to pretend or play a role or wear a mask. You can just be exactly who you are. And you can't ever separate the physical parts of a home with the relational parts of a home. So I was reflecting on this when we dropped Ansley off, our, our oldest, and you know, she's, she's at Lee University in Cleveland, Tennessee, and we, we dropped her off, and of course, this is our first experience doing this, and everybody had said, bring the tissue box, you know, get ready to cry, and I was like, I don't know, I don't know if that's going to be me, we'll see, we'll see, and then <laughs> we got there. <laughs> now, they tricked us because they planned this prayer service for the parents and the kids, like right before you say goodbye to them, and they were saying, like, put your hand on your child and pray, and I'm just, I, that, that took me over the top. I put my hand on her shoulder and then she went and kind of grabbed my, my elbow and then it was waterworks, you know. <laughs> what I didn't expect though is I couldn't recover. <laughs> so we came out of the service and it was time to say goodbye. And Jody was like, well, let's take a moment. And I was like, I can't. <laughs> so I gave her a quick, it was, a, it was a good hug, but it was quick as I could. I couldn't say anything. She looked at me, I looked at her and I couldn't talk. We got in the car my wife was crying too, but she recovered a little quicker than me. <laughs> I'm not joking. Two hours, two hours in the car on the way home. 
I can't talk. And finally, Jody looks over at me. I was wearing sunglasses. Jody, <laughs> Jody looks over at me and she just sees fresh tears streaming down my cheek. She's like, oh, you're still crying. <laughs> it's like, poor guy, you're still crying. And then she's real sweet. She was like, do you want to talk about it? And I was like, And so I, what I kept saying, all people asked me, how did it go? And I kept saying, I was like, I was a basket case and I wasn't expecting to be, what is going on with me? I was thinking about that a lot. And I thought it was, it's more than just that I miss her. That's true, but it's deeper than that. The, the feeling that I was feeling was this deep ache and, and I couldn't fully put words to it. And then I was thinking about this idea of home this week. I was thinking about this text and I said, you know what it was? It, at least part of it was this. It felt to me like I left a part of my home in Cleveland, Tennessee. And then I was scanning, you know, some social media posts from some other people. And those are those of you in the room. I'm looking around right now. Many of you just dropped your kids off at college, just like I did in the last week or so. And, and, and a couple of you on your social media posts, you'll say something like, we left a piece of our heart in Knoxville, Tennessee, or, you know, in Oxford, Mississippi, or whatever it is that you're going, we left a piece of our heart. And I was like, that's what it feels like. And then I remembered that expression, home is where the heart is. So you could easily just to say, we left a piece of my home in this place, this home, this family that I've sort of been accustomed to for these 18 years that we've, we've been together is now fragmented, you see. And then I started thinking even further and I was like, this is how life is. This is how all of life is. The world is fragmented. Our homes are, are broken and fragmented in all kinds of ways, in all kinds of ways. So the irony of this universal longing for home that we all have is, is it's the place we were made for, but none of us actually experiences it in fullness on this earth. There's no earthly home that satisfies our desire for home. Not really, not fully. Our true home has got to be a place of wholeness, a place where everything fits. And what we experience here is fragmentation. And so we can't quite ever shake a feeling of homelessness, can we? Now, this sense of homelessness is what drives us our whole lives, I think. It's what, it's what fuels this, this search, this longing, and, and the longing for home spills out in our art. You know, how many country songs are written about my, my hometown, you know, or, or I found a home with you, you know, love song essentially is that's what that basically is. And, how many movies are about someone who lost their way and is trying to find their way home, even literally or figuratively? This is deep inside of us and it spills out into our art and into our culture. And the reality is, even if you build the place with the window overlooking the mountains or the, 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 the porch overlooking the seaside, there's no earthly home that will satisfy your desire for home. Jesus says, I'm going to prepare your home and you will be with me there. See, he's promising them a place, but not just any place, the place that they were made for. Leave it to C.S. Lewis to reflect on this and write something profound. C.S. Lewis wrote, if I find in myself a desire which no experience in this world can satisfy, the most probable explanation is I was made for another world. 
I must keep alive in myself the desire for my true country, which I shall not find till after death. I must never let it get snowed under or turned aside. I must make it the main object of life to press on to that other country and help others do the same. How many of us make it the main object of our lives to press on to that other country versus making it the main object of our lives to try to create a, a perfect place here? Now, why is this place Jesus promising our true home? Because it's the Father's house. It's the home of your creator. It's the one place you truly belong, the one place you've been searching for all your life, whether you know it or not. And so Jesus says, let not your hearts be troubled. Next sentence. In my Father's house are many rooms. I'm going to prepare a place for you so you may be where I am. And then he ends with this interesting verse, and you know the way to where I'm going. Now, Thomas, who's going to speak next, says the exact same thing that all of us would say, which is, look at verse five, Lord, we do not know where you're going. How can we know the way? Jesus said to him, I am the way and the truth and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. John 14, six is one of the best known verses in the book of John, but it's rarely heard in its context. Here's the context of this verse. It's Thomas asking on behalf of the disciples, no, on behalf of every human being, how do we find the way home? Show us the way. Jesus says, I am the way and the truth and the life. Why would Jesus answer it like that? Well, if you've been with us through the study of John's gospel, which has really been about a year, you know, so far that we've been in this book together, uh, you'll remember that there are seven I am statements in the book of John. This is number six of seven. Let me put the list on the screen. I am the bread of life. I am the light of the world. I am the door for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I'm the resurrection and the life. I am the way, the truth, and the life. I am the true vine. What Jesus is doing in these statements is amazing. He's, he's taking the, the proper name of God, which is in, in Hebrew, I am. I am who I am. We probably would say it Yahweh or something. We don't know exactly how to pronounce it, but close to that. So Yahweh, I am, the name of God. And then he gives an analogy or an image or an implication of what it means that Yahweh has come in the flesh through Jesus Christ. So God has come to earth. That means you have bread. That means you have light. That means the door has been open. That means you have a shepherd. You know, that, that means resurrection is to come. That means a way has been opened and truth has been revealed and life has been given. And it means that he's the true vine and on and on and on. The implications of God coming to earth for us are just spilling over through these statements. Now, Thomas asking, how can we know the way? Jesus answers, I am the way. And he doesn't stop there. He says, not only am I the way, I'm the truth and the life. And, then, and I'll get to the last sentence in a few minutes, but I want to just unpack these three words, the way, the truth, and the life. And I was thinking about what, what's actually happening here and how I can explain it. I thought, well, let me give you an illustration. So I'm going to pack, un unpack these three words. And I'm literally going to unpack them this morning because I brought a backpack 
And I've got three, three items in here. And here, here's the Im- image. Here's the analogy. Imagine if you were dropped off in, in like a remote location somewhere in the wilderness and, and, and you had to find your way home in order to survive. What, do, what are you going to need? You know, like you got to have some provision. What are you going to need? What do you hope is in your backpack if you're lost in the woods kind of is, is where I'm going with this. Well, the first one, pretty obvious, you're going to need a map. You're going to need where to go. So, so Jesus is saying like, I, I'm the way, like I am the map. Now, I want you to think about what, what, is a, what is a map good for? Well, you, you can find where you are and you can find where you need to go and then you can trace the path along it. And, and the map is not something that you just look at once and you're good to go. And I guess unless you have a crazy photographic memory, you have to keep relying on it. You have to keep depending on it. Jesus says, I am the way for you. So wh- wh- what does that mean for us? I, I want you just to think about this with me for just a minute. What he's saying is, Follow me. I am the map. Well, how is Jesus a map? Let him guide you. You know, trust me, he's saying. I am the way. Put your trust in me. Even though at times it might seem backward to follow me, it, it might seem like, is that really the way to go? Jesus, follow me. Trust me. The route is circuitous, but I will get you home. So Jesus says, I am the way. What's the second thing that you're going to need if you're you know, lost in the, the wilderness somewhere? You've got a map. and Well, you know it's going to get dark. You know the sun's going to set. So you, you, you're going to need something else too. You're, you're, you're going to need a, a, a light. You're going to need a light to show the path. And Jesus says, I am the truth. In scripture, truth is often associated with light. Jesus has already said previously, I'm the light of the world. Many implications of that is, I am the truth. I'm, I'm how you know what's true and what's not true. I'm the one who illuminates the world around you so that you can see, so that you know. The psalmist had this idea when he wrote, your word is a lamp to my feet and a light to my path. How do you know where to go? Follow Jesus. But what about when it gets dark? I'm the truth. I'm the light. Keep trusting me. Keep looking to me. Let me illuminate the way. And then there's one more thing you really need. It's, it's actually sort of two, but I'm, I'm grouping them together. You know, you're, you're going to need sustenance, right? You're going to need to eat. You know, here's some bread. You're going to get hungry. The, the human body has to have energy. And then, of course, what goes right along with that is you need hydration. You need water. So I got this bread and I've got this canteen here with water. And, and Jesus says, I'm the life. I'm what you need to keep you going. I'm what you need to, to stay hydrated and, and have sustenance and energy. He's like, lean on me. In a, in a sense, he's saying, consume me. Let me be your energy. Let me be your source. And remember previously, Jesus had said, I'm the bread of life. And we, we talked about what that means. It, it means you're hungry. And Jesus is what you need. And then in chapter seven, he said, if anyone's thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He meets our hunger. He meets our thirst. Jesus is saying, I am all that you need for the journey. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. He's giving them provision. So the first thing he promised them was a place. The Father's out. The second thing is like, you're going to have provision for the way. You put, 
You put these items together, you have provision for the journey home. Jesus is giving the disciples exactly what they need for what lies ahead. They don't even know what they're going to walk into. He's already given them what they need. This is no less true for us. Jesus is saying, everything you need is right here. And and it's actually not not three objects, is it? It, It's actually one thing. It's this. It's Jesus. So Jesus is saying, hold on to me. Hang on to me. I'm your provision. I am everything you need. I'm giving this to you now. I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Now, before we move on, I want to talk about this last verse because, of course, this is important, and particularly in our day and age, this comes up a lot. How, how exclusive of Jesus to say, no one comes to the Father except through me? That, that rubs a lot of people the wrong way. Of course, there's no other provision to the Father outside of Jesus because he is uniquely the Son of God. He is uniquely God himself. The incarnation happened just once. So what we want to do, at least, you know, in our modern time, in our modern culture, what we want to do is we, we want to just group Jesus, you know, in, into this long list of humans who started religions or claimed to have discovered a good path or, you know, a path of life, so to speak. Jesus blows up any of that thinking through his own words. He says, I am the way. I am the truth. I am the life. Not I will show you a way or I will speak some truth or I will help you toward a path of life. I am, Jesus says, Yahweh Elohim, God in the flesh. And then, of course, he backed it up. Like, he demonstrated it through the miracles, through the seven signs that John has been pointing us to, and many other miracles as well, never-before-seen things that Jesus did. Of course, it all culminates in the greatest one, his own resurrection. And so I want you to think about it this way. The only way to come to God is through God. How could it be any other way? The only way to come to God is through God himself. You're never going to get there through a human philosophy or a human system. You have to go through God himself. But the incredible news is that God himself has opened his arms wide. Jesus says, whosoever comes, it is open to all. And so is it an exclusive statement? Well, yes, it's an exclusive statement that's incredibly inclusive. Jesus says, whoever comes, whoever believes will have eternal life. And so the provision, the way home is once for all. Once for all. It's inclusive for anyone and everyone who comes. And the way to come is through faith in Jesus. God himself. Now, if you've been tracking with us so far, let's kind of do a quick review. Jesus is promising three things. We talked about the first two, the promise of a place and then provision for the journey. And here's the problem. Jesus says, the provision is actually me. I'm, I, I'm the provision, Jesus says. Didn't he just say he was leaving? Do you feel the tension that the disciples must have been feeling at, at this moment? So what's the solution to this problem? The, the, the solution is what the rest of chapter 14 is about. And we're going to only touch through verse, four, uh, verse 14 of chapter 14. And then next week we'll talk more about this or, or Lloyd will. 
But Jesus is essentially saying, look, I am going away, but my presence is not. Solve that riddle. <laughs> what do you mean? You're going away, but your presence is not. Jesus is saying, everything you need is in me. I am the way, the truth, and the life, but I'm going away, but my presence is not going away. In other words, he's promising presence. Not just place, not just provision. He's promising presence. He's saying, I will be with you always. And I want you to see how this plays out because it's very unexpected the way this plays out. Let's read, let's go seven all the way through 14 and then I'll uh, explain a few things and then we'll apply the message. Jesus says, if you'd known me, you would have known my father also. From now on, you do know him and you have seen him. Philip said to him, Lord, show us the father and it is enough for us. Jesus said to him, have I been with you so long and you still do not know me, Philip? Whoever has seen me has seen the Father. How can you say, show us the Father? Do you not believe that I am in the Father and the Father is in me? The words that I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority, but the Father who dwells in me does his works. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me, or else believe on account of the works themselves. Truly, truly, I say to you, Whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do and greater works than these will he do because I am going to the Father. Whatever you ask in my name, this I will do that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. Okay, it's a little unfair for me to read like all that and then just say we've got like five minutes left, but that, that's sort of our reality. But let me jump to the chase and, and give you the, the best way I can, big picture description of what's going on here, because you can almost see the disciples' minds getting exploded, okay? They've grown up as good Hebrew boys, good Jewish boys, every day saying, the Lord our God is one God, and so Jesus is now saying, if you've seen me, you've seen the Father. And Philip's like, and the rest of the disciples too. Like they cannot wrap their minds around this. Now, you know, Jesus is doing nothing less than beginning to open their minds to the mystery of the Trinity. And he hasn't even talked about the Spirit yet, but this is where this is going. The Spirit will be introduced in next week's text. It's the very next thing that Jesus is going to talk about. So Jesus says, believe me that, that I'm in the Father and the Father is in me. And so the works you've seen me do, the Father has actually been doing through me. And then he takes it another step forward and he goes, and anyone who believes in me is going to do these works and even greater works. Here's the mind-blowing idea. Jesus is saying there's an incredibly mysterious and, and amazing union between myself and the Father and I'm opening up a place in that union for you. Whoa. That's where this text is going. That, that we can be brought into the majestic, mysterious, amazing union of love between Father and Son and that happens through the Spirit. Of Christ. So Jesus is setting them up here for, for the promise of the Holy Spirit, which is next week's text. And, and I, I want to comment on this last sentence because obviously we get a lot of questions about this. If you ask me anything in my name, I will do it. I thought Lindsay did a great job of talking about that earlier in our worship set. This is not some recipe for name it, claim it. You know, it's not like, oh, I, I want a million dollars in Jesus' name. You know, boom. It's not a genie in a bottle. You know, it's not rubbing the lamp. What, what's actually going on here? Let, let's think about it in the context of the passage. Here's what Jesus is saying. 
the union, Jesus is saying, that you will experience with me when the spirit dwells in you is such a union that your will and my will will become united. That, that you asking me to do something will be so united with my plans and my intentions that it's exactly what I want to do and I will do it. Anything you ask in my name. I, I, I like what Lindsay said. You know, she said it, it's aligned with and submitted to the will of Christ. Aligned with and submitted to the will of Christ. How can we become aligned with and submitted to the will of Christ? Only as we submit to the spirit of Christ that dwells in us. This is a little preview of, of where the text is going next week. But I, what I want you just to hold on to now is there are three things that Jesus is promising his followers, you and I included. The promise of a place, your true place, your true home, where you belong. You've been promised that. If you put your trust in Jesus, that's where your story ends. No, that's where your story begins. Number two, provision for the journey. How will I know the way home? How will I make it home? How can I survive this place of utter darkness? I am the way, Jesus says. I am the truth, Jesus says. I am the life. Hold on to me. Don't let me go. Consume me when you're needy. Depend upon me. Trust me. And then finally, I know you can't do this without me, Jesus says. So even though I'm going, I'm going to multiply my life through the Holy Spirit. And, and, and guys, this is an incredible theology of the Spirit that we don't talk enough about in modern church. And we're going to get into it next week. The Holy Spirit of God dwells in us. The presence of God. So place, provision, presence. Now I want you to close your Bibles and take out your communion elements. We're going to apply this to our lives right now as we talk about communion. I'm going to, I'm going to speak for a few minutes. So if you didn't get a, you know, the, the bread and the juice, you can step out right now into the arcades and you can just pick one of those up. They're right out there ready for you. And I want to say this, this is for anyone who believes, anyone who's put their trust in Jesus. And if you're not at that place this morning, you know, I, I hope you don't feel excluded from our gathering because you're welcome here, but this is something that Jesus has said is particularly for those who have put their faith in them, in him. So I want to invite all of us who've put our faith in Christ to the table this morning, and you can go ahead and just peel back the first layer and, and get out the little piece of bread. Don't, don't eat it yet. We're going to do that together, but, but here's how I want to apply this. Jesus was not all words. He wasn't one of those smooth talking people who promises a lot of things and never delivers. The day after he made these promises, he went to the cross. He gave it all. And what you and I are about to taste is a reminder of that sacrifice. And isn't it remarkable that, that what we're commemorating is the very meal which Jesus made these promises. Place, provision, presence. And so I, I want to help us think about this for just a moment. Before Jesus went to the Father's house, he first passed through death. So he said, I go to prepare a place for you. He wasn't going straight from the communion table to the father's house. He had to first pass through death. He had to first go to the cross. He had to go to the tomb. And then he was raised up and went to the father's house. 
Why did he have to do that? Why did he have to descend before he ascended? So that you and I could pass through death as well. In, in other words, pass through death, not stay in death, not stay dead. Since we only have to pass through death, I, I want you to just grab onto this this morning. That means there's life on the other side. Death is not the terminating point. You pass through it. There's life on the other side. You will join Jesus just as he promised in the Father's house where he has prepared a place for you. Not, not just his place that you're going to join. He says, I prepare a place for you, your place with me. It's going to fit you like a glove. And we will join him at the Father's house and dwell in the place he has prepared for us, which is our true home. Because of his sacrifice, we all, through faith in Christ, will find our way home. With that in our minds and our hearts, let's eat the bread. Take the cup as well. And before we drink this, I'll say the blood of Christ was poured out for you so you could be made clean, so you could enter the Father's house with white robes and fresh clothing, and, and you will no longer have the, the, the stink of the sin and the death that we walk in on this place, but you will be made new through the blood of Christ, and in that we rejoice and we drink the cup. Amen. I want to invite you to stand to your feet. Our rhythm on most Sunday mornings is after the sermon's done and, and the Lord's Supper is we'll sing a song. And we're not going to sing a song this morning, but we are going to worship. Now, worship is basically just a response. If you think about it, God moves first. He reveals himself. He rescues us. We respond in worship. We answer saying, thank you. Hallelujah. It is true which is what amen means. And we worship. So we're going to worship this morning, but we're going to do it a little bit differently. Um, we've written a responsive reading. Um, one of our worship leaders, Brian Yakabowski, has written this, and he's written it from this text this morning and from this message this morning. So these words have been written for us to proclaim together in unison as a people in worship as we go or before we go this morning. We'll put the words on the screen. I'll read the part of the leader. All of us together will read the part of the people. O God of Jacob, God of Moses, God of David, you have created us to dwell with you in a set-apart place. We hold in our souls a holy homesickness for the joy of your unmarred presence known here on earth only at the dawn of creation. And in this divine longing to share once more a holy home with you, we have not been left without hope. You have made a way through your son. His blood is reconciling all things to himself. Through him, our souls are now and forever will be united with their first love. There is no surer hope, no greater comfort than this man, Jesus. For in him, every deceitful lie that would dare to make us prodigals once more is silenced. No more will the whispers of pride and shame steal us away to wander in the miseries and despair of sin. He calls us to follow him. And even the sound of his voice carries the warmth and light of the radiant place he has gone to prepare for us. 
He is the word of truth made flesh. He is true north for all to follow into freedom, peace, and unbroken rest. In this world, we will have trouble. Our hearts know full well the heavy weight of burdens beyond our strength to bear. While our deceiver would seek for these fiery trials to break our resolve, the pain of their work only deepens our desire for a new heaven and earth for our heart to call home. In that sacred promised place, God will wipe away every tear and death shall be no more. The joy of the Lord is our strength. There is everlasting life in his name. We set our hearts on the promise of his eternal presence. We set our hope on Christ, the way, the truth, and the life. Amen and amen. Have a great week.